Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hidden, a true crime podcast. A forensic psychologist and a journalist explore the hidden motives behind unthinkable crimes while examining our deepest fears along the way. Hello, Hidden Gems. It's time for another live hidden hour, this time on Sunday night. Thanks for the extra day. I haven't been feeling well. In fact, this is the first time I've showered in a while. That's how much all of you mean to me. I won't I won't do that for John, but I'll do it for all of you. <laughs> and look, babe, we match. So Yep. Still clinging to the holidays in red. <laughs> we yes. refuse to let it go. <laughs> We're so grateful for all of you being here. And it is a big show tonight. And since I don't have a voice, I'm just gonna hand this over. To you, John. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so we're going to dive into the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. And I just want to preface this with a few ideas. Um, number one is that our discussion may not always be popular tonight, but I think it's important. Our channel has always believed in uh, providing our version of events, no matter where, what that is or where it leads us. And sometimes that's not always the most popular. We don't express the most popular ideas all the time, but we express ideas that we think are accurate. Um, there may be some some discussions tonight that are controversial, and I invite all of you guys to participate in those discussions. And having said that, I want to also say before we begin this conversation, this episode, that I do have a lot of empathy for Gypsy Rose. I do believe that she was horrendously victimized by her mother. I believe that she went through was indescribably painful and unnecessary. And I believe that it that the medical system did fail her, that every system failed her, and that this, this should have been and could have been caught so much earlier that so many people could have prevented this. So I have a tremendous amount of empathy for what she went through. There's no question in my mind that Gypsy Rose is a victim and she was abused. And I, I just want to set that straight before we begin this conversation. Um, because we're going to go down some paths here that are, that might be a little controversial. I want to start by now that I mentioned the, the victim part. Um, I do think that, in analyzing this case, I think it's important to consider 
two facets of this case that there's the case of Gypsy as a victim of abuse, and then there's Gypsy as a murderer. And I think those are very different parts of this analysis, and they're important parts to consider. I think I think that Gypsy the murderer is quite different than Gypsy the victim of abuse. So I will be separating those two parts of this analysis. So let's start with there is a video from 2009, I believe, of Gypsy singing at an event for a, a cancer. Is it the American Cancer yes. Society? Okay. The American Cancer Society. Yes. Okay. So if you could, <laughs> if you could go ahead and, and please play that. All right. Here you go. There you go. Okay, right. For those of you who have watched Gypsy's prison confessions, and I haven't, we haven't, Lauren and I haven't watched all of it, by the way, because the last two episodes are airing tonight. In fact, they're here, they're airing during the show. So we haven't seen all of it. We have watched the documentaries, including the HBO documentary. We've looked at the interrogation videos. We've, we've looked at just about everything we can, and we've watched the recent prison confessions. So that's where we're getting our information in addition to some articles and some discussions and some, some groups, but uh, we've looked at a wide array of sources. So, so I want to say that those are our sources tonight. Gypsy Rose raises a really important question early on. And that question is, she sees it as the most important question. It's a question she gets over and over again. And that question is, and I'm going to quote here, her here. From, this is from the prison confessions. She says, people ask her, quote, why didn't you just stand up? And that's how, that's how she puts it. So, you know, it's interesting that she doesn't say the, that the question is, why didn't you just stand up to your mother? She says, why didn't you just stand up? And there, there's a sense in which, ironically or interestingly enough, I think she's talking about two senses of standing up. One is standing up literally. In other words, getting out of her wheelchair and standing up and showing the world that she can stand. And by the way, Gypsy knows that she can stand. She knows this from a very early age. In fact, she, the reason she, she took to a wheelchair was because she was in a, a motorcycle accident with her grandfather, Claude, when she was five years old, and she scraped her leg. It was a fairly minor accident for her, but she scraped her leg. And then her mother saw that scrape. So her mother, Dee Dee, saw the scraped leg and she used that to put Gypsy in a wheelchair. And from that moment forward, Gypsy never left the wheelchair, even though the family would see her bouncing on a trampoline and the family would see her later when, when Dee Dee had an accident and Gypsy was around age 10, that Gypsy stayed with Claude again. And even though she had a feeding tube, she ate normally. She walked around the home, right? So there were, there were plenty of instances where Gypsy was actually out of her wheelchair. People saw that. Gypsy knew it. But the, the question here is, the question she poses is, why didn't you just stand up? 
right? So the, there's two senses in, in which I take that question to mean, number one, why didn't she get out of her wheelchair and show the world that she could stand? Because if she did that, she would disprove everything that was going on, right? If she just stood up, she would tell the world, look, this is all a facade. This is all a fiction. This is invented by my mother. I can walk. Okay, so, so part of her question I take it is, why doesn't she show the world that this is a facade? The other part of the question is, and maybe the bigger part is, why didn't she just stand up to her mother, right? Since, since the main theme in all of these documentaries and in the confessions is that Gypsy is a hostage. These are terms that are used constantly. Gypsy's a hostage. Gypsy's a prisoner. Gypsy's a captive. Gypsy has no choice. She has no options. That she's just her mother's puppet. That her mother's the puppeteer. Her mother's pulling all the strings. So that's the second part of this question. And so when I, I wanted to show the, the Cancer Society song for a couple of reasons, because I want to ask this question about that particular incident. So what's interesting about Gypsy singing at that event is that Gypsy's actually 18 years old. Right. Her mother is telling people that she's 14. She's 18. So she's, she's an adult. She's a legal adult when she's singing to a group of people pretending to be a child. Right? And when Gypsy is doing this, by the way, she absolutely knows that she can walk. She knows that she can eat normally. She knows that a lot of these illnesses she's been labeled with are not real. Yes. What's interesting to me about this particular moment is I wonder what it would have been like if Gypsy actually stood up during this event. And my question here is, could Gypsy Rose, when she was 18 years old and an adult, could she have literally stood up in that moment and shown the world that this was all a facade? And it seems to me that there's three reasons why there's, there's only three options here about why she wouldn't stand up or she could stand up. One is that she chooses not to stand up, right? So she's making a deliberate choice not to stand up. Uh, the other option would be that she can't stand up due to a medical condition. So one of the conditions her mother says she has is muscular dystrophy. And yeah. That's the explanation about why, generally speaking, she's in a wheelchair, because she doesn't have the capacity to stand up. So we know that number two is false. We know that she has the capacity to stand. And the third reason that she wouldn't be able to stand is the reason that Gypsy gives all the time. This is her pat answer. Her pat answer is that she's afraid. She's too afraid to stand up. She says, quote, in the prison confession, she says, quote, I was scared of my mother. That's why she doesn't stand up. 
if, if we agree that at the Cancer Society meeting, just hypothetically, if we agree that she has the capacity to stand up and she chooses not to, the question is why, right? And this is the question I want to answer because this really is the key to Gypsy Rose. Okay. The question is, why does she choose not to stand up? I, we need to examine that question and we need to examine whether um, the reason is fear or is it something else, right? And so I think our our show tonight is really going to try to dig into this issue of the of the big question she raises about why doesn't she stand up? And I think most people would agree that it's a choice. That she, okay. choo- that she chooses not to stand up because we know that she doesn't have muscular dystrophy, right? I mean, we don't know it at the time she's singing. And so what is it in that moment on that stage? Let's say that, that Gypsy Rose on that stage with her mother is the main attraction, which she is. She's the main attraction. She's singing. People know her story. You know, they're sort of enthralled with her and her situation and all these illnesses she has and all this adversity she has to confront, right? So what does that mean, right? What does that mean that Gypsy Rose at 18 knows she can stand? She knows that all of this stuff is more or less a fiction and she chooses not to stand up because here she is in front of hundreds of people, maybe more, as the main event, the main attraction. She's it. She is the main attraction. Right. And I think that, I think putting it in those terms, I think is going to get us really close to where I want to start going with this. And this, this has to do with the Munchausen's by proxy. This has to do with why she's making a lot of her decisions. Uh, It has to do with really, I think, understanding this case. And I want to say the chat is full of things like, well, she didn't stand up because of coercive control, because of fear, because of abuse, because this is what normal was to her. I just want to share that I am seeing the chat scrolling and there are people saying that and we're going to tackle that, right? We're going to, we're not going to ignore those people that are, are saying these things. You work with victims of coercive control. You know it well. I think those are all part explanations. I think that all of those things are going on here and they're, they're especially going on when she's younger. You know, the, the, well, it, this starts when she's very young. This starts when she's less than three, Uh, you know, it starts with strabismus by the way. So let, let's talk about the origins of Gypsy Rose here and the origins of all these, these medical issues she legitimately has strabismus when she's a child, which strabismus is translated as, is cross eyes and cross. And, and, you know, there's different ways to correct it. Sometimes you can correct it with glasses. Sometimes you need surgery. Um, but, but I think, so Didi sees this medical condition and I think for whatever reasons, uh, Didi latches on to, to this idea that her child needs to be sick. She latches onto this idea that, that her child can get a lot of attention and she can get a lot of attention if her child is perpetually sick. And so the strabismus, which is real, and by the way, a lot of her conditions stem from like the, the motorcycle accident at age five with her, her, with Dee Dee's father, Claude, 
Gypsy's grandfather, um, the motorcycle accident, there was an injury. It was just minor. But Didi saw that as an opportunity to transform this minor injury into something major. So once she's in a wheelchair, it becomes muscular dystrophy, which she doesn't have. And then it becomes leukemia. So she shaves her head. That she, if she's going to be in a wheelchair and she can't walk, she needs to be sicker. She needs to have leukemia. So I think leukemia is diagnosed around age eight. It becomes this progression where Didi is piling up illness after illness. As the documentaries point out, that as, as one of the psychiatrists says, uh, Dr. Mark Feldman is his name. He was in the HBO documentary. He says that this is probably the most egregious and clear-cut case, case of Munchausen's by proxy that he's ever seen. And he's an expert in that area. And then he goes on to explain that Munchausen's by proxy is either a feigned illness or a real or or a created illness, a manufactured illness in a child to benefit the parent in some way. Usually it's a way for the parent to get attention or, you know, so typically to feel special, that kind of thing. I don't think there's any dispute here. And by the way, just to update that, I, the Munchausen's by proxy is no longer referred to that anymore. It's, just, it's now called factitious disorder imposed upon another. So the name has changed. Because all these people talk about Munchausen's, that's what I'll use. But just know that I'm aware of the fact that the DSM-5 refers to it as factitious disorder imposed on another. So that would be the, typically what we would talk about. But we're going to call it, for our purposes, we're going to call it Munchausen's. So you have, um, you, you have this escalating cycle of illnesses that really kind of puts Didi in the driver's seat. And it really gives Didi a lot of control over Gypsy Rose. And in most cases of Munchausen's, by the way, occur with, with minors, with, with children under the age of 18. And, um, and that's going to be an important point here, by the way, because most cases of Munchausen's involve not only minors, but Typically, minors who have some type of illness that can't be explained. So in a lot of these cases, you'll see some type of poisoning, for example. Yes. And, and when you give a child, let's say you give a child antifreeze, for example. I mean, that, that's horrendous, but let's just say that's the case. Um, when the mother takes the child into the doctor repeatedly and they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're not looking they're not assuming that a mother's going to poison a child. So they're, they're not really looking for antifreeze poisoning, for example. And so there is a real sickness because the child is being poisoned. Right. And right. Um, but it's not obvious what that is. And so um, most doctors just naturally assume that, the, that there's some illness that's coming from the child and not from the mother. And so, uh, unless they discover, unless they dig a little deeper and find out that there's antifreeze in the child's system, and then they'll obviously know that the mother initiated it. But but I, a lot of these cases, you have some illnesses that, although they can't be explained, there is a real sickness there. There really is a sickness. Yes, that's Right. Whenever we talk about Munchausen, we talk about how the child is very, very sick and they don't know why they're sick and they don't understand what they're 
the person is doing. They want to know right. why they're sick. They're in pain. And the doctors are baffled. Yeah. And so it so it's important to point out with Gypsy that there, there's there's no poisoning here, as far as we know. And well, there was a lot of medication early on, wasn't there? A lot of medication. There's she was taking a ton of medication, but medication, you know, medication, you know, so in the HBO documentary, they said that the medication actually induced some of the illnesses she had. But let's consider that. So at some that. point, at some point, she was deemed to be quadriplegic. There's no medication that can can induce quadriplegia. At some right. point, she was considered to be intellectually disabled. There's no medication that can that can induce a 13 year old to act like a five year old, right? There's she was diagnosed with leukemia. I'm not sure how, but um, I mean, part of this was able to happen because of the hurricane, because of Hurricane Katrina and the move to Missouri, where Dee Dee claimed that all the medical records disappeared in the hurricane. You lose weight, it comes back. You lose it again, it comes back again. And if this cycle sounds familiar, you're not alone. And there is a better way. What if you could take a weekly shot to lose weight and keep it off? That's where Roe comes in. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with lifestyle changes so you can lose weight and keep it off. Roe handles it all, even insurance paperwork. If eligible, you have access to a provider on demand. You can sign up online from home, no doctor's visits. Average weight loss, get this, 15 to 20% in a year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria do apply. Go to road.co slash hidden. Sign up today and you will pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's row, R-O dot C-O slash hidden. While Chad Dable's attorney complains of Tammy Dable going through menopause in the courtroom, most women can relate to her experience. Many of us know it can be hard to find comfort in our own bodies, experience cravings or depression, but Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier, and that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any women with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code hidden true crime at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code hidden true crime for 15% off today. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days, feeling like styles have changed so much? Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. I signed up, I took a style quiz, and they offered suggestions that would best match me. The more I rent, the more on point the styles get. Whether you are planning a date night, packing for a conference, or headed to a black tie event, you will have the perfect outfit without facing a fitting room with fluorescent lights. With my Armoire clothing rental, I feel brave trying new styles 
emails because I know it's not forever. It's just for a week or a month. And my favorite thing, having someone else do my laundry when I'm ready for new clothes. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash hidden true crime. That's armoire.style slash A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash hidden true crime to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. But but let's continue with this idea. You can't give you can't give a child medication that will induce leukemia, right? A lot of these illnesses, seizures, okay, you might be able to induce. There's some of the stuff you probably could. But so the medication in and of itself would not explain all of her illnesses. It would it would go a long way to sedating someone. It would go a long way to creating a zombie of sorts. It would go a long way to, to presenting concerns that need to be investigated further with blood work or whatever else, right? That with further testing. Yeah, or the aura gel made her drool, but it didn't create the leukemia necessarily. Right. So the aura gel, the aura gel is an example of when she had her salivary glands removed. Her mother gave her a ton of Oragel so that she would she would salivate a great deal unnecessarily, that she would drool. And based upon that, based upon that little trick, the doctors were convinced, and based upon Dee Dee's persistence, the doctors were convinced that she had a problem with her salivary glands, so they were removed. So that's an instance of, of inducing an illness or problem that doesn't really exist. So I think, you know, there there are some big differences here in terms of there's no poisoning here. Yeah. There's no there's no like underlying illness that they that any of these doctors can pinpoint. There's a lot of DD saying, you know, seizures, asthma, right, the leukemia, quadriplegic, like. Yeah, but, there's a lot of. Go ahead. Yeah. Right there. There's a lot of. Specula- there's a lot of, of pronouncements on Didi's part about all the sicknesses and illnesses she, she has, but none of those are really confirmed by testing. I do feel, yeah, I do feel like there is a big difference between this case of Munchausen and others I've seen. The others I see, the child is very sick. They're in pain. They might be on their deathbed. And then the doctor finds out that they're slipping stuff into the IV or that the mother is poisoning the child in this case you're right the mother is saying she has this and she has this and she's creating the diagnoses but she's not and she's sedating and creating some symptoms but you're right it's different right it's different it's different and and that's going to start moving us in the direction of the answer that i'm trying that that we'll be getting towards here the other part so there's another piece to this too that in one of the documentaries they mentioned that this is the only Munchausen's by proxy case where the victim killed the offender. The only one. This is the only documented and known Munchausen's case where the victim killed the offender. And that takes us to the other part of this, this issue of the other issue of Munchausen's, which is that most cases of Munchausen's, almost all of them occur with minors. And and specifically, so for example, let's go back to the poisoning example. If you're poisoning a child, the child has no voice. The child doesn't understand what's happening. The child has no recourse. But what's what's different about Gypsy's case 
is that she's an adult for a large chunk of this, that her mother, Didi, has changed her birth certificate so that she's four years younger than she's supposed. She was born in 91. The birth certificate has changed to 95. This allows Didi essentially to perpetuate this idea that she's a minor when she's not. Right. And so I think that starts moving us towards this. Why is this the only Munchausen's case where the victim essentially retaliated? And I think part of that is because, because Gypsy Rose is an adult. The Gypsy Rose that as an adult with a better understanding of what's going on here, the Gypsy Rose has a lot of anger and she has a lot of rage about what her mother has done to prevent her from having a normal life. You won't see that in a 10-year-old. You won't see that in a child. You won't see that in an eight-year-old who's being poisoned because they don't have the intellectual capacity or the means to fully understand that. So what makes Gypsy Rose case unique is both the fact that she has to participate in some of her illnesses. In other words, she has to go along with her mom, which, by the way, before every doctor appointment, she was coached. Her mother would tell her what to say, what to do. She would say, when, when the doctor does a reflex test, make sure you don't move your leg. She was coached before interviews. So that is very unique to Munchausen. That doesn't happen. Well, you, you have children can feign or, or malinger or fake illnesses, but when they do, in some ways they have to play a role. They have to play the role that their parent wants them to play. Right. And, and so you have a lot of that here that, that when her mother says she has quadriplegia or she's a quadriplegic gypsy Rose, know that she knows that's not true. But in, or, in order to perpetuate that fiction, she has to go along with that. She has to, she has to play along, otherwise she exposes the whole ruse. Right? And so, so as she gets older and as she starts realizing the extent to which I think her mother is abusing her and taking advantage of her and perpetuating all this, these fictions, and as she starts becoming more independent, I think she starts becoming much angrier. I think she starts realizing what's happening, obviously. She in, in which again in Muchausen's cases you just don't cases you don't see that because most of the children are younger. And they simply they don't they 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 have no capacity to understand how and why the person who's supposed to be protecting them would be harming them. You know, getting back to my initial question about why she doesn't stand up. So let's go back to that now with, with the understanding that most, most Munchausen's cases involve younger children, often that are exhibiting significant illnesses that can't be explained. And, um, and the doctors are baffled by that. Here you have someone who's older, and in fact, she's an adult for a big chunk of this. And she's having illnesses that don't exist. She's exhibiting illnesses that don't exist. Um, and so 
the question, if we go back to that question about why she doesn't stand up, why is she choosing not to stand up? Um, well, okay. I'm sorry. Let's, let me, let me actually back up a little bit. I think we need to, to go, before I get to that answer, I'm going to, I'm going to leave a little suspense here. So let's, let's actually back up a little bit. And, um, I want to go back to when she's age five and we'll come back to this question, of course, but, uh, at age five, when she first gets, takes to a wheelchair, um, she said something, uh, there's a couple things that, uh, that are going to be important here that, that if you don't pay attention to her prison confessions, you can miss them really quickly because they come and go quickly. But I, of course, in my job, you know, my job is to try to pick out the little things that, that sometimes are monumentally important. And this is one of them. So Gypsy Rose is talking about when she was five years old. And here's what she says. This is from the prison confessions. She's she's saying this as an adult, of course. She's saying this prior to her release and, and during the interview. But she's talking about when she was age five. She says, quote, I knew I could walk, but I only craved her, meaning I only craved my mother's attention, and I was afraid of losing it. Then Gypsy Rose goes on to explain, she goes to elaborate on that. And she tells a story about how she's five. And she's just been put in a wheelchair. And she knows she can walk. So she knows this is a facade. She knows this is a ruse. She tells a story about how she wasn't giving her mother enough attention. And she was being a little disobedient. She wasn't completely obeying her mother's instructions. And when she did that, the story is that her mother turned to the cat. Her mother turned to the family cat and started showering the family cat with quote, with more attention than she ever gave to me. The quote she said in the documentary is quote, mom favored the cat over over me if I disobeyed or I didn't pr- give her enough attention. This is a r- really important disclosure, I think, because now we're starting to get into issues around attachment and issues around attention-seeking and issues around parenting. And in fact, this reminded me a lot of a fairly well-known experiment called the still face experiment that was conducted by uh, Edward Tronic in 1975. And I act, we actually have some footage from that. I wanted Lauren to, to play here. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying 34 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like Kara. 
and she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. okay. I'm here. And what are you doing? Oh, yes. Oh, it's a girl. It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good. There's no reparation and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. Okay. So the story I just talked about when at age five, when her mother starts favoring the cat in front of Gypsy Rose, starts giving the cat attention. I think that's a version of this. That's a version of still face that essentially when she's doing that. So this is, by the way, this is this is a type. This is what psychologists call operant conditioning. So operant conditioning is the famous B.F. Skinner, you know, mazes and rats and boxes and that kind of stuff. Operant conditioning is based on a series of rewards and punishments. So that's exactly what's going on here: is that that Dee Dee is trying to shape Gypsy's behavior. She's rewarding her when she gives her attention. She's giving her a still face or rewarding the cat when she's not giving her enough attention. So she's really, what she's doing essentially here is she's creating a huge amount of dependency. Mm -hmm. She's creating a huge amount of dependency upon her for attention. And she's also forcing Gypsy, Didi's forcing Gypsy to be attention seeking from her. And so yeah. it's, it's interesting to think about, if you think about, if you move forward with the still face experiment, so the, the still face experiment is with little, you know, toddlers and infants. It's with little ones. But as children get older, you get, 
you have, you get a version of the still face experiment, which is that parents, especially narcissistic parents, they begin to impose their will and their ego upon their children. So this, this process that you see here that, that, the Tronic is showing it's a dance between the child and the parent. And I think every relationship is like that, that there's, you know, there's reciprocity and you have this give and take and you have this dance and, you know, somebody shows some nonverbal and then you respond to it. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. but at some point, I think that when a parent becomes threatened or when a parent's narcissism takes over, the dance begins to shift so that the parent is demanding that the child respond to their needs and their ego and their narcissism rather than to the child's own needs. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going on here. But when, and, and when that happens, by the way, you, you start losing the opportunity to develop a real sense of self. Yes. Idea, this, is what Winnicott, this is what Winnicott, the famous British psychoanalyst, called the false self, that when the parent starts putting their needs and their ego above the child's and they start kind of imposing their ego on the child, then the child really doesn't have a chance to develop any sense of self. Right. They become, they become a reflection of the parent. They do what the parent wants. Mm-hmm. They become objectified by the parent. They become a reflection of the parent. And so I think that's, that's the process we're looking at here. Yes. So you have, you have, you have, I think from a very young age, you have a situation where um, you have insecure attachment in the sense that, that Gypsy Rose is not given any freedom to really kind of explore the world and develop her own sense of the world. She always has to be attached to her mother. So, Typically, we would see that as like an anxious, anxious, ambivalent type attachment in the sense of the child, when the child is away from the mother, the child feels extremely anxious. And so I think, I think you, you begin this story with insecure attachment, and then you have some version of still face, the still face experiment, where the mother is essentially threatening the child. If you don't behave and do exactly as I say, I'm going to withdraw all my attention from you and all my love from you. And then as the child gets older, it becomes even more extreme. The mother says to the child, you have to reflect back exactly what I want and what I feel and not what you feel. And so you go from, you go from this insecure attachment to this, incredible sense of dependency and to this need for attention. So I think you have these three components in play here. You have attachment issues, you have a huge amount of dependency and you have a real attention seeking behavior. I'm feeling this. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) We're with you. (laughs) So, So that so now that we've done that, and so I think the cat story then becomes really important, and these ideas become really important. And going back to our question, and by the way, Gypsy Rose also mentions—I forget what episode—but in her prison confessions, she mentions that 
She cares immensely about what the other prisoners think of her. She says for seven of her, or of her seven years of her prison sentence, she can't stop worrying about what other what what the prisoners think of her. And that would be consistent, by the way, with these issues I just discussed. Mm-hmm. That that's this attention-seeking dependency component. That so you 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 not only see this at age five when when the mom's giving attention to the cat, but you also see it in prison when she's age 31, she claims that she's overcome this, but we'll get into this later, but clearly her, her media tour and all the things she's doing now would best be described as attention seeking to say the least. Right. Mm -hmm. So this notion of attention seeking is really important in this case. Um, And we, and she says that she tells us that in prison, In prison, she only cares about what the other prisoners think of her, right? And so that continues from age five until whenever. So let's go back to, let's go back to, let's start thinking again about, I I asked that question about why doesn't she stand up and expose this whole ruse when she's singing in front of the American Cancer Society, right? And right. I think we're in a better position to start answering that now. Okay. So the question is, we know that she's choosing not to stand up. Right? She is. She's Yeah, she's making a choice. Despite the, the course of control and the abuse, and you've acknowledged that at the beginning, she is, she is making a choice not to stand up. Right. And so I think... <laughs> The more, if you really delve deeply into Gypsy Rose and her upbringing, and and again, I I want to be clear that I'm very empathic, that 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 this is clearly a form of abuse. Her mother is narcissistic, as narcissistic as one can imagine, and right. her mother is negating any chance that Gypsy Rose has of developing kind of a a, a solid sense of self. Yes, because because her mother is imposing her notions of selfhood onto her daughter and she's not letting her daughter have a voice. Mm-hmm. However, when you, when you think about this, this singing at the cancer society, I think the clear answer to me is the reason she doesn't stand up and expose this whole ruse is because she wants attention. She wants validation. She, by now at this point in her life, even though she's an adult, she's 18 years old. She's received so much attention for being sick. She her has. Mo- her mother has received so much attention. So this, this, this kind of goes back to the cat story. She doesn't want, even at age 18, when she's singing and getting all this attention, she doesn't want her mother to go back to loving the cat right. more than her. Right. And so the short answer is a big part of Munchausen's is that the parent, so Dee Dee, Dee Dee wants to be seen as a wonderful, perfect, heroic parent. She's getting a lot of, of, of kudos from the community. She's getting a lot of attention from the community for taking care of such a sickly daughter, right? And so there's this element of, there's this, this need that Dee Dee is getting fulfilled 
of of excellence in parenting or heroic parenting or however you want to call it, whatever we we want to call it, that she's getting a lot of attention, Dee Dee, when she wouldn't otherwise get that attention. Yes. And the other part of that is that Gypsy's the star of the show. Gypsy's the main attraction, that these two go together. Gypsy has to play that role. So Dee Dee's parading Gypsy around and basically saying to her, look, I'm getting this attention, but so are you. People love you. People are befriending you. People are giving us money. People are, you know, are are really- Giving us a house. Giving us a house. They're giving us a house. They're giving us trips to Disneyland. They're giving us, you know, uh, trips to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She's doing all this stuff. She's traveling all over the country. She's befriending all these people. She's got, right, like, it's not, this isn't a story just about Dee Dee as the heroic parent. This is also a story about Gypsy as the star of the show. Gypsy as the main attraction. And that's what we see at the Cancer Society. It's certainly true that Gypsy was abused, that you can see Gypsy as a hostage, you can see her as a prisoner, you can see her as a captive. And and I think a lot of that is accurate. I I don't really dispute that. But I, th- I think if you dig a little deeper, it's important to see that Dee Dee and Gypsy are creating this ruse together. And Gypsy says it's fear. Gypsy says the reason she plays along and doesn't stand up is because she's afraid of her mother. The problem with that explanation is simple, which is, that in terms of actual f- f- like threats to her life or fear for her physical safety, Dee Dee's perfectly fine until, until Gypsy runs away at age 19. There's no physical abuse until age 19. The Gypsy essentially says, my mom was perfectly loving. I mean, she was abusive and she, you know. She, emotionally and yeah, emotionally, psychologically. Controlling, yeah. yeah but not physically until she was an adult. Right. There's no, there's no fear for her life. So the only way to interpret then, if, if there's no physical threats or, or fear for her life physically, and there's no physical abuse, then the fear she's talking about goes back to the quote I just read about the cat. Let me read that again. At age five, Gypsy says about herself at age five, I knew I could walk, but I only craved her attention and I was afraid of losing it. That's it right there. She tells us the fear is she's going to lose her mother's attention. She's going to lose. The fear is not that she's going to get killed by her mother. The fear is that her mother's going to withdraw her attention and her love from her and give it to the cat. And so do I think that fear is legitimate? Yeah, absolutely. But it's, yeah, it's all she's ever known. It's, all it's, she's a different ever known. Ki- it's a different kind of fear. And it's, it's, if you think about, so for those who have watched I Just Killed My Dad, uh, it's a documentary on Netflix by Sky Borgman. It, it involves uh, an adolescent by the name of Anthony, Anthony uh, Temple who – Essentially, there's it, there's a version of this with Temple, except for 
Anthony, in Anthony's case, his father was very physically abusive. He literally locked him in his room and let him go, wouldn't let him go out. He didn't go to school. He had no friends. His father kept cameras around the house to monitor him. And Anthony, at some point, Anthony shot his dad to death when he felt like his dad was going to kill him. And that, so in self-defense. Yeah. In self-defense. Right. And so not planned in a quick moment. Yes. Right. It was an impulsive moment when his father was chasing him. He gets the gun, he shoots him. Right. But you have the same elements. You, you don't have Munchausen's, but you have, you have this hostage situation. You have the prison, like all the things that could apply to, to, to uh, Gypsy Rose also apply to Anthony. Um, the difference the difference, however, is that Anthony has a legitimate concern that his alcoholic father, who lost his job, is starting to become more violent, and he's escalating his behavior, um, and he's legitimately afraid for his life. Whereas Dee Dee, although after Gypsy Rose runs away and she locks her, she locks Gypsy in her room and chains her up and all that kind of stuff, that happens at age nineteen. That happens much later. With Anthony, this is occurring when he's a teenager or, a, you know, a late t- teenager. And so. Yeah, and, pe- and people are mentioning in chat, well, the physical abuse when she was younger because of the medication she had to take. That's true. We're referring to like threats to um, her life at this moment. Or, or maybe you can explain that. So, so yes, right. physical abuse and the medications. Right. I'm talking about threats to her physical safety. Right. Threats to, she mentions that after age 19, her mother gets a gun. Her mother starts putting a knife by her bed. There's these signs, certainly, that there could be physical violence. That's what we're referring to. And and that's when Gypsy Rose starts to have more concerns for her physical safety. But there's never an instance, as as far as I know, when, when Dee Dee says to Gypsy, I'm going to kill you, and points a gun at her. Or, or, or something of that nature, right? So the fear, I think the fear is legitimate, but it's, it's, not the, it's not the same fear that somebody like Anthony Template has, right? It's a different kind of fear. It's the fear of, of not getting her mother's attention. And so that goes back to this issue of and this motivation of attention and validation. And in some ways, I think that um, those are existential threats to Gypsy Rose. So while there may not be this actual fear for her physical safety, there is a legitimate existential fear of if you withdraw attention from Gypsy Rose, in some ways that probably feels like death. Why do so many dogs suffer from health issues? It turns out that actress Katherine Heigl, who helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says that she is seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dogs' foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She has made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing and see incredible changes in their dog's health. Look, 
John and I are dog lovers and are currently searching for the perfect family addition and how to keep them healthy and happy. So if we can help keep your best friend healthy too, we are happy. Go to badlandfood.com slash hidden true crime and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash hidden true crime. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah. Because it's all she's ever known. Right. She's that's all she's ever known. And her mother has created this this deep dependency. dependency. Right. Dependency. This deep dependency that's just um I have a quote here. So this is this is also from the prison confessions. Um she says, Gypsy says of her relationship with her mother, quote. We were bonded by this lie that we couldn't escape. It's from That's Gypsy. interesting, right? That that in some ways Gypsy's saying there that that she knew about the lie and she she played her role in perpetuating that lie because that's what kept them together. That's what let her you know get all this attention from her mother and from other people and from you know houses and all this stuff. I think this story. People are mentioning that, oh, this started when she was three months old. Yes, we're acknowledging that. That is why she craves this. And like, I, I don't think that what you're saying is not acknowledging that. I want to say that everyone's saying, but you, but this, yes, this is what she knows. Right, exactly. The, the, <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not arguing that, Gypsy Rose was not abused. I'm not arguing that there wasn't Munchausen's by proxy. I'm not arguing any of that. Right. What I'm saying is that I think that as Gypsy Rose became older and she started to become an adolescent and started having this desire for kind of sexual experiences and more independence, that this, this narrative starts changing a little bit. And Gypsy Rose feels more options. You know, I mean, she runs away multiple times. She does. If you're going to perpetuate this idea that she's a total prisoner and did everything that her mother wanted her to do, then how, how do you explain her running away? Why is not that the same as standing up at the American Cancer Society? Yes. Right. And so I, I guess my point is that if you, if you really dig a little bit deeper into this case, there's a lot of complexity. 
there's a lot of gray area. I'm not saying that I don't want to say that. So, and we're going to get into the murder part in a minute, by the way. So I want to set all of that up with this, this notion that at some point, and I don't know when at some point, Gypsy Rose knows that this is a ruse. And she knows that to keep getting attention from her mother, she needs to play this role. She needs to play along with her mother. Her mother's coaching her before every doctor's appointment. This is, this is not someone who's dragged along against her will at every turn. This is someone who, even at one doctor's appointment, she can stand up and end all of this. She can call her father and end all of this. She can do something. Her argument is, essentially her argument is, I had no options. I was a prisoner held against my will. I could not choose. I, you know, and, and I don't want to say that there's no validity to that because I, I do think she had a distorted view of reality. I do think that, that her reality testing and that what that means is the kind of how we know the world and how we engage with the world and how we make decisions. I do think that was impaired. Mm -hmm. She had a limited perspective of the world. She had limited relationships. She was obsessed with Disneyland and she lived in fantasy and all of that certainly impacted her ability to make good decisions. But again, if it, I want to go, so going back to my hypothetical of the, of singing at age 18 at the American cancer society, could she have stood up or did she not have that option? So, and, and I guess philosophically, the larger question is here, here is did Gypsy Will, did Gypsy Rose have free will or was, or was all of this determined by her childhood and the way her mother treated her? Did she have any capacity to choose? Did she have any free will to express herself? And, you know, if you look at the murder and how premeditated it was and what happened with the murders, you have to argue that this is someone who had choice. She ran away more than once again. She had the choice to run she away. She ran away. She made the choice to, ran, to run away from her mother. You know, also the first time she runs away, she's 19 years old. She meets this guy, Dan, at Vision Con. Dan is 36 years old. She decides, Dan talks her into leaving and, and staying with him in Arkansas or something. She, she runs away, but she, <laughs> and these little bits are so critical. She runs away, but she leaves her cell phone behind. Think right, about that. Right, right. Is that a mistake? So her mother, the only reason her mother finds her is because her mother sees her phone, cell phone that she leaves behind and her mother tracks her. Her mother looks at the text. Her mother figure out, figures out where she is. Her mother finds her brings her back home. That's when the first physical abuse occurs. She left her, she ran away from home and left her, left her cell phone behind telling her exact, telling her mother exactly where she was. So does anyone think that's an accident? I'm sure there are some people, but <laughs> I don't I'm think sure there, you do. I don't think you people. do. <laughs> but clearly Gypsy Rose, if you leave your cell phone behind, you know, you're going to get caught. If her mother doesn't find herself, or her mother does not know where she is. And she probably runs away somewhat successfully. I mean, I think because that dependency is so strong, she wants her mother to find her. She wants her mother to bring her back. 
The dependency. Yes. She doesn't want to lose that attention. But she does have this capacity to choose. She does have the capacity to run away. She has the capacity to 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 plan a murder in in a you know in some depth. She has a she has the capacity to start a relationship online that lasted for three years, three years in secret. She has the capacity to get on Facebook behind her mother's back, to get on social media behind her mother's back. She understands all of that. But her argument is that because she's such a hostage and such a captive that she can't choose, that she can't make choices, that she can't function as an adult. And I mean, I, I, think, I think there is a middle ground here. I, I don't think it's one or the other. I think, that, I think that she can be both a hostage and a prisoner, at least feel that way. She can I feel think she did the, feel that way. I think the dependency made her feel that way. I think yeah. she was a hostage to her mother in many ways because of her dependency. She can feel as if there's no way out. I agree with all that. But then you have to argue that she also understands that she's acting, that she can walk, that she can eat. She knows all that. In order to perpetuate this fiction, she has to pretend as if none of those things are true or that she can't walk, or she, right? And so you, you have all these contradictions. You know, it, it, in the confessions, I have to say that I, I, do think, I do think she's done some work. I do think she's, she mentioned that she's been in trauma therapy. I do think she's, she's matured quite a bit. I do think she's come a long way. Um, you know, it's interesting. So I, I do think she's progressed a lot and I give her a lot of credit for that. On the other hand, <laughs> you know, I, she's perpetuating this narrative, which makes perfect sense because she's promoting a lot of her, her, her documentaries and she's promoting a lot of her stuff. Her book. She comes her, out with her a book. book. Yeah, she's coming out with a book. Um, but her narrative is pretty simple that she, you know, that she's a hostage and she was abused, which she was, and that she has really, that really, she had no choice. She did what she did because she felt like she had no choice. And so, you know, there's a bit of a contradiction there. Um, you know, I think it's suffice it to say that I think she's a very complex person like all of us. And, you know, the, even the documentaries will leave certain things out. You know, that the, there was in the HBO documentary, there was some implication that she was physically abused before age 19. And then Gypsy Rose tells, Gypsy Rose tells us she wasn't in the confessions. So, you know, there, each of these documentaries is, is clearly trying to present a particular perspective on this case or a particular narrative. But, but what about Nick? Because that's one <laughs> of the things I think that bothers people yeah, but, yeah what but about i don't want to get you off track do you want to keep going let me just throw out a few other thoughts there's so much to talk about here i don't i feel like i'm i feel like i'm missing some big chunks of this but i think there's another part of this story that's really been overlooked and that is this underlying, I would call, let's, I, I'm going to call it repressed rage. Okay. This underlying anger and rage that just gets buried in the story. 
And what I mean by that is that I've listened now and watched, I don't even know, hours, like well over 10 hours of Gypsy Rose stuff in the last three or four days. And there's only one place, including in her prison confessions, there's only one place where Gypsy Rose mentions anger at all. It's in the HBO documentary from 2017. It's in an interview she's doing with the HBO producer or director. I think it's the director. So in, in so roughly 20, it must have been before this interview must have been done, I presume, before she went to prison. So this would have been like 2015 or 16, maybe early 2016. In the interview with the HBO director, she says, quote, I'm angry at the world and this is unfair. That is the only mention of anger in any of this. So I, I think there's something really, I don't know, there's real, something really dishonest here about if, if, if most normal human beings went through what Gypsy Rose went through. I think that they would acknowledge that they had some anger at their mother for being treated so poorly and unfairly. They'd have anger at her mother for losing their childhoods, their entire childhood, to abuse and, and all these manufactured illnesses, right? There has to be some anger here. Yeah. And she she's never... She never talks about it once. She never says, I'm so mad. I'm so enraged at my mother. That was a, and I think that was a part of her decision to murder her mother. Yes. But you, you never see it. It's not talked about. It's not expressed. It's buried. It's repressed. And that's a problem. And it's, and it's repressed in all of the videos of her too, with her high pitched voice saying fairy tales do come true. I'm so happy. I'm such a giggly sing songy cheerful right. little girl you never ever ever see that ranger anger that's part of what was so shocking about this case is where did this come from right exactly and 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 so you know as a as a forensic psychologist whose job is to assess risk and recidivism and all that kind of stuff if i see someone like gypsy rose who murdered her mother in cold blood or played a major role in murdering her mother. And she's not able to express any anger or rage about what happened or any rage that may have played a role in her crimes. That's a red flag to me. You know, she wants to present this image of herself now as someone who's reformed and come a long way. And she has, she's going to be quote her best self. Like she, she throws out all these like new age terms and, you know, self-help stuff. And that's great. There's no question in my mind. She's come a long way, but if you really want to go that extra mile, if you really want to figure out what's going on, you got to, I think you've got to look at some of that anger. Well, some people are saying maybe she doesn't know she has that rage or anger, but you're saying that's probably true. That's part of the problem. Well, this is going to bring us to Nick. Okay. So she meets this guy, Nick, Nick go to John in roughly 2012 ish, 2012, 13. She meets him online and she learns that Nick has this dark side. So Nick has this 
this part of himself that he calls Victor. And Victor apparently is a 500-year-old vampire who can be violent. And he describes as being evil. So Nick has this alter ego. He says it's a multi, he says he has multiple personality. I don't think he does, but he's got this alter ego named Victor. Victor's a vampire. Victor's prone to violence. Victor's impulsive. Victor is into BDSM and, you know, some sexual deviancy perhaps. Um, Victor is for the most part, sort of this violent, malicious alter ego that Nick um, develops. Gypsy says initially that she's repulsed by, by this idea of Victor. Um, but then, but then she starts cultivating this dark character herself. And this, this character's named Ruby and Ruby wears these wigs and Ruby dresses in lingerie and Ruby does these like salacious poses for pictures where she's like licking butcher knives and engaging in kind of this pseudo porn. She's wearing lingerie. This is not, we're getting a long way away from the 18 year old talking in the sing song voice, acting like she's 12, right? Ruby becomes this expression of this other side of Gypsy Rose. Even Gypsy Rose describes Ruby as being evil or potentially evil. It's, it's, it's her alter ego to kind of mimic this character that Nick has created called Victor. Right. And so my point is that, that Gypsy Rose is complex. There, that there's, there's something here in Gypsy Rose that's a lot darker than we think. There's something here that there's something here that encompasses a lot of anger and a lot of rage that she's only able to express through this character of Ruby. I think that this character, this, this Victor character, by the way, I think this Victor character is very much a projection of Ruby's darker side, that this appeals to her because she knows that she needs to connect to something or someone like that if she wants to murder her mother. In other words, we give Victor a lot more attention than we give Ruby. And maybe we should start looking at Ruby a little bit more. Well, you know, Gypsy's narrative, Gypsy's story is that this evildoer, Nicholas Godijan comes into her life, hell bent on murdering her mother Right. She's she's putting she's pinning most of the blame for the murder on Nick. And then she's using this character of Victor to show how evil Nick is or could be. Now, never mind the fact that Nicholas Godijan has no history of violence. He has no he, he does have an arrest. He does have a, a sex offense. But it's 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 I don't know what we can say about it on, on YouTube. It was at McDonald's and it had to do with touching himself for several hours. Right. So he was in public. He was in a public space. He was in pub, a public space engaging in um, an illegal sexual act uh, with himself. Let's just say that. And, and so, which by the way, so the other I thing said it more- better than you, you're the <laughs> one that might, 
You're, yeah, I, I know. I, I should have left YouTube. it at that. I think everyone got it. Okay, keep going. YouTube has my tongue tied. So I know. Um, so they always do. So um, um, the thing about Nicholas's crime there is that it wasn't violent, right? It, it, it wasn't an assault. It didn't involve somebody else. Um, These are the things John looks at when he's looking at risk and recidivism. So he says that casually, and that might seem shocking because people might think, wait, that was violent towards people that might see it. And so John is talking very literally factually as it's his job in how he, this is what you do is I just need to explain that to people that might. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're talking very casually because this is your job and other people are like, that is a terrible thing he did. So I just try to explain this is, this is like everyday talk, everyday speak for John's job. So, okay. I mean, so there, go there, ahead, explain. So let me let me let me explain that a little bit. So uh, I've assessed so many sex offenders, I've lost track of how many, but that the I I've had case. So there's there's other things you need to understand about Nick Godijan. Number one, he was apparently, according to his mother, he was diagnosed with autism. Uh she said that he his mother, Nick's mother said that that he has the you know the intellectual capacity of a 15 year old roughly 15 16 so he's got some intellectual delays and um and and so oddly enough that particular crime um uh, i've worked with i've assessed a lot of adolescents um and young adults who have similar crimes and they have similar diagnoses that they tend to be delayed a little bit and and or maybe autistic, maybe not, but but intellectually impaired to some degree. I think that's the commonality. Um, and and for whatever reasons, that's that's a reasonably I don't want to say common, but it, it it's a crime I've seen more than you would expect among that group. So that doesn't that doesn't really alarm me. I mean, what I'm what I'm would be more concerned about is that the he happened to have a knife with him when he was doing that is that if he attacks someone with a knife or if he tried to assault someone, right? Like, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that his crime was nothing, but, but I'm, but what I am saying is that there's a big distance between that particular crime and murdering someone brutally right. with a knife. Right. And so in that sense, there's really nothing in, in Nicholas Godijohn's past that would that would point in the direction of that type of violence. And I, I think that that gets us closer to to discussing the murder. And so the components of the murder that are interesting to me are number one, that Gypsy Rose is the one who suggested it. Gypsy Rose was persistent and relentless about convincing Nick to murder her mother. Even towards the end, Nick had reservations. Nick had discussed just running off. You know, ask, Nick asked the question, do we really need to do this? Nick saw this as an extreme behavior. But Gypsy Rose was not going to let it go. Gypsy Rose is very clear this is what she wanted. Gypsy Rose was persistent. And she said, no, my mother needs to die. You can see that there's text threads out there. I don't, you know, we don't need to repeat those, but, but I mean, it, it certainly raises the question about, 
you know, in some ways this starts to look like potentially it starts to look like a murder for hire type situation. Right. She found someone who was gullible. She found someone who was intellectually delayed or had intellectual disabilities. And when you watch his interview, you can tell that he is delayed. She convinced him that the only way that, that they could have a relationship and which he desperately wanted. So she created a huge amount of dependency between herself and Nick. There was a huge amount of dependency on her, Nick on Gypsy Rose in their relationship. So she perpetuated this fantasy that they would live happily ever after, even if he killed, even if he killed Gypsy Rose's mother. You know, those are all troubling elements of this situation. The DA initially charged them both with murder in the first degree, which which would have meant life in prison and or the death penalty. And then because of mitigating circumstances or mitigating factors, which were Gypsy Rose's past childhood trauma, he reduced her sentence to second degree murder, which is basically manslaughter, which ended up being eight and a half years. So, you know, do I think that the the punishment was just? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I have a hard time with this. Um, I have a hard time that he's doing time behind bars for life while she's out in 10 years. It, it seemed like they, they plotted and planned together. And, you know, it seems like other people are curious and have a hard time with that too. Um, we've watched several interviews with Gypsy since she's been out of prison on The View with ABC. I think there's one other. And they ask her this. They ask her, how do you feel about Nick? you know, still behind bars and will be for life. And she has a scripted answer. I'm sure he has regrets too, just like I do. I'm, I did my time and he's doing his or something. Yeah. She said, I did my time. I know he's doing his time and I wish him well on his journey. She always says, I wish him. There's no journey. There's no journey. Right. Right. There's no journey forever. The journey for Nick is is a small prison cell and then death. Like there, there's no there's no life journey for for Nick in the same way that Ru, a Gypsy Rose. I want to say Ruby since since I introduced her alter ego, her evil alter ego. Yeah, right. There's no there's no journey for Nick. His life's over. You know it 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 does show her response to that question to what you know what are your thoughts about Nick? It does show a startling lack of empathy. You know, I, I, I might say that it, it, it does kind of sound like it's scripted from lawyers. So I, I get that, you know, maybe she's just saying what she needs to say to appease her lawyers, but, but I mean, it really negates her prominent role in the murders. I have to share what Missy said, because this is what bothers me. She lied in the interrogation video and Nick told the truth. Nick was so truthful so truthful, so direct. And she lied. She lied. And she, he said exactly what happened. That, that says something to me. Who's so more let, manipulative? <laughs> let's, let's play the, can you play the, a bit of the interrogation interview? Let's get to that now that we're talking about it. Thanks Missy for that great segue. Um, I've pulled about four minutes of the interrogation video with Gypsy Rose uh, when she and Nick are, are taken in. Here we go. 
let's be honest with each other, okay? I'll be honest with you as long as you're honest with me, okay? And I want you to understand that your honesty goes a long ways, okay? You don't want something in, in this in this nature to be like a big snowball. We'll use that as an example, okay? You don't want that snowball to be so big that you know how when you pack a snowball and it's real small, and what happens when you start rolling it down a hill? It's bigger, okay? And what happens if you start telling lies? They get big, and you don't remember which ones you said and which right. ones you told. And as soon as that thing gets so big, it goes down the bottom of the hill and it crashes into a lot of people. Okay, I mean a lot of people. All right, and it hurts a lot of people, right? Because it's so big and crashes and hurts them. Now, if if you're telling the truth, that's not going to happen, isn't that right? Okay, so uh, that that's kind of why I want you to be honest with me about this. Okay, about some things. All right. So I want you to understand that. Um, you need to be honest with me, and, and if you're involved in anything that I'm about ready to tell you, then you need to tell me, okay? Um, your mom's dead, okay? Now, what I want to ask you is, your, your mom's your mom's passed away, okay? And she's deceased, all right? Now, what I want to ask you, did you have involvement in this? Okay. Now, hang, on, hang on, listen to me for just a second, okay? I want you to understand something, okay? Remember the snowball that we talked about? You remember the, the pencil that we talked about? I'm going to almost demonstrate something with a pencil here, okay? Look at me. Look, there's some stuff going on that you, that you and I need to talk about. Mm -hmm. And why these things happen, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's where we're at with this, okay? Okay? And I think that's where we're at with all this, right? Mm -hmm. What happened with your mom that night? Mm -hmm. Listen to me, okay, sweetheart? You, you know what happened to your mom, okay? You know exactly. I, I, sweetheart, I, I, listen to me. Let's let's not go down that road of taking your pencil and writing a bunch of mistakes down. And then when you get to a certain point, that paper's gone, and guess what? You can't erase it, can you? You can't erase it anymore. Do you want that? I don't think you do. I think you're smart enough to understand where we're at with this, okay? I think you know, okay? And I know that you know, all right? I wouldn't be here if I didn't know. And I know the answer to a lot of these questions, okay? I already know them, okay? I know them, and I'm giving you a chance to be honest with me, okay? Because you don't want this thing to spiral out of control, okay? No, no, no. Your, your boyfriend's in here, okay? Uh -huh. He's here. He's, he's in here, uh -huh. okay? All right? Uh -huh. And do you think that we've not talked to people? No, I, 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 I know. Listen, listen to me before you say a whole lot. Do not dig yourself up in a bunch of lies. Because what's going to happen? That snowball's going to get so huge, sweetheart, that it's going to explode on you. And you're never, ever going to dig yourself out of it. Do you understand me? I understand. I understand. So I, I want to know, okay, mm -hmm. why? 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 Why, why? why did you guys hurt your mom? Okay. So, sweetheart, look, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Mm -hmm. I've got kids. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for a long time. I know it's hard. <clears throat> and I want you to understand something. Yeah. Don't dig yourself that hole. Don't go down that path. Okay? Because okay. listen to me for a second. <clears throat> you go down that path, and what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen if you go down that path? It's not a path to go if, down. If anything, I, I don't tell lies. I would never hurt my mom. Okay, sweetheart, look, we're, 
do you really want to dig yourself? You're, you're digging yourself deeper. Okay? No, seriously, I would never listen, hurt listen her. Listen to me. Listen to me. Okay. I, I don't. I don't play around with that. Okay. I'm no. not going to play around with this. Okay. Sir, I'm, I didn't listen do anything. To me. They want. They I think want to know why. Very, very clearly. You think that it's me? Why do you no. think that it's me? I have always listen, loved listen my mom. My mom and I are best listen, friends. Listen to me. Listen to me. Please don't do yourself in this hole. And that's what you're doing. You're still doing it. Yes, yeah, I okay. saw a few of the comments. And the Oscar right. goes to. Right. <laughs> Obviously, she's not only is she lying and being manipulative and thinking that she can get away with it. So anytime she's been manipulative previously, people have fond over her right so she she thinks she can run the same act and and the interviewer is going to believe it but yeah obviously her acting here is amazing yeah right and and so and the amount of times and the amount like the cop was so nice too the cop was like look just look i'm trying to help you your mom's gone like this is gonna snowball i'm trying to help you and she just was like no and then she says i would never lie while she's lying. When you combine this part of the interview, the interrogation interview with the Facebook post. So the Facebook post, which was written by Gypsy Rose, that people thought her account was hacked. It wasn't, it was written by her. She wrote it in Wisconsin because she wanted the police to come to the house to find her mother's dead body. The Facebook post basically said, I'm going to, I can't say what it says or we're going to get demonetized by YouTube. So the, 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 the post basically said, my mom is dead. B, somebody, somebody the B came is in dead. The, what? Yeah, the B is dead. The B, the B is dead. That somebody came into the house and slashed her and assaulted the daughter, right? It's, it's, it's very explicit. I can't, you, you, any, you can find this post anywhere. It's pretty, pretty commonly out there. But let me just mention a comment. This is the only place I've... Again, after 10 hours of, of reviewing material and videos and documentaries, there's one comment by one professional who happens to be a forensic psychiatrist who specializes in Munchausen's by proxy. He made a comment about the Facebook post that was, that was posted after the murders. And here, this is from Dr. Mark Feldman, the forensic psychiatrist. Here's what he said of the Facebook post. Not the interview, but the post. Quote, the Facebook post implies a fair degree of sociopathy. That was in the HBO documentary in referencing that Facebook post. So let's, let's continue along that line for a minute. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not diagnosing Gypsy Rose here. I'm referring to other people and I'm referring to the things that Gypsy Rose has said. So I wouldn't presume to know if Gyp, I, I mean, <laughs> I might go so far as to say that Gypsy Rose has some psychopathic traits or qualities, and that would be true of just about every murderer. So I'm not pinning that on Gypsy Rose. But Dr. Feldman, he says that the Facebook post, quote, implies a fair degree of sociopathy. This is what Gypsy Rose says in one of her prison confessions. She says, quote, when I was first arrested, I had no remorse, unquote. In her HBO interview, she says, and this is a quote, I didn't know right from wrong, unquote. These are direct quotes from Gypsy Rose. So I'm not, I don't want to necessarily, 
contextualize those or to, you know, I don't want to place those in a, in a diagnosis, but I think most of our, our, our viewers kind of get the point that those would be statements that would, that would cause some concern. And yes, I, I just want to say this too. And yes, could this all be because she was abused? Yes. Yes. But I think, I guess where I'm going, cause I'm looking at chat going, but, but she was abused, but she was abused. We want to excuse every negative aspect of Gypsy Rose because she was abused. That's not fair either. There are many, many abused people that don't make the choice that she did. And there are many, many murderers who were abused and we don't give them the same empathy. I just, I, I'm just having a hard time looking at the chat scene. I have empathy for Gypsy Rose. I, I do. I do. But I, I think I'm having a hard time in my brain how we give her every excuse in the book, but not other people that commit crime. Lori Vallow, I think, was abused as a child. Would we be cool if she got a plea deal and Alex Cox was alive and he got life? I mean, I don't want to start comparing because we can't compare him. Now, now everyone can start saying, well, that's completely different. And I, it is. It's completely different. But... I just, I don't, I just want to say, I'm looking at the chat going, what? Like, and yeah, she's great at being a victim. She is a victim. She is a victim, but she is also really good at being a victim. She is both those things. She, well, she is an actual victim and she shows us that she's very good at being a victim when she stands up at the American Cancer Society and sings. She is both, both a victim and really good at being one when it matters. Sorry. Well, let's. Let's go, let's go further. It's something I said in the beginning. She's a victim and a murderer. Yeah. The, the Gypsy Rose is not just the victim of severe and extreme childhood abuse. She's also something darker and more menacing. She's ruby. She's filled with rage. She's something that I don't even think she knows. I don't even think she can define it. But it's, it's that something that came out when she murdered. And that's the part of this whole thing that really concerns me. I don't, do I, do I think she's going to murder again? I think it would require a really unusual set of circumstances for her to murder again. I don't think her, I, I don't think the, the possibility of recidivism is particularly high here. However, do I think that she's going to live a life that's going to include a good deal of deception and manipulation and lying. Do I think that she's going to have struggles in relationships, building healthy relationships for sure. This is someone who I think I'm quite sure has probably has some type of insecure attachment, probably an anxious ambivalent type of attachment. She can overcome that, but it's going to take a lot of work. And also she talks about being addicted to opiates. She talks about being addicted to painkillers. I think her real drug is attention. Yeah. I think the, the I real drug that drives her and motivates her is attention. And she is out there seeking more attention than any of us can imagine. She has millions of social media followers. I don't even know. It grows exponentially by the day. She literally walks out of prison and walks into the studios of Good Morning America to give an interview. I mean, it seems to me like a normal response here would be give yourself at least a few months. Right. She so said, she said in the view interview, which, you know, John knows, John knows he, he helps with perpetrators. 
the best thing that you can do when you get out of out of prison is to get a nine to five job, rehabilitate back into society. She said on the view, yeah, I'll get a nine to five, uh, but I don't have time for that right now. I don't have time for that right now because she's so busy. And so seeking I, I think, attention. I, I think it's a little confusing to me because she's, she's this, she's become the celebrity without any, I mean, for, for what, like, there's not, there's no special skills or knowledge or what is she? She's a celebrity because she went through these horrific childhood experiences and then she engaged in premeditated murder. Is that what our culture is celebrating? Also the drug that she seeks is attention. It's validation. This is what she's always wanted from her mother and received. And that's why she doesn't stand up or didn't stand up. And here she is doing exactly the same thing. So in that sense, I'm not sure that there has been much change, you know, and I, I say this with a certain amount of sadness because I really do like you, Lauren, I do, we really do empathize with what she went through is horrible. I would not wish that on any human being ever. And she's been given a second chance and we want people to have second chances. John right. and I love it when people have second chances, including Gypsy Rose. We Absolutely. have a lot of hope. We hope good things for her. You know, I, I think she has grown. I think there's some hope here. I think she could live a normal life and maybe contribute to society. I mean, I hope she does. I think she's definitely learned some lessons. I don't think that her chances of murdering again are particularly high. I think she may have some problems in her marriage. I, I would, I would, I would anticipate that her marriage is going to be a struggle because she got married when she was in prison and she doesn't really, I don't think have a strong template for healthy relationships. I mean, it's a huge flag to me that she did get married in prison, but you know, this is someone who, this is someone who's always defined herself in relationship to someone else that goes with the dependency. This is someone who cannot be alone. This is someone who needs others for validations. So in that sense, it doesn't surprise me that she's obsessed with finding a relationship in prison. She was engaged in 2019 to somebody named Ken and he broke it off. Like she, she cannot exist without being in a relationship. And that, you know, if nothing else, I would say to somebody like this, look, just step back a little bit, take some time to be alone and to figure out who you are and what you want with your life, right? Like we all need that. You can't really define yourself without some solitude and some alone time, but she's not allowing herself that. Um, right. And then she broke, Ken broke up with her and then she met her now husband that she's living with. And even her family, even her family in the lifetime documentary, they have stated her dad and stepmom who have been her major advocates. I admire how much they've advocated for Gypsy Rose, her biological father and her stepmom. Even they are concerned that they wanted her to move home, to get acclimated, to have a family life. And here she is now moving in with her new husband. <laughs> you know, it's, it's worrisome. It's worrisome. It's worrisome. I like, I like Christina's comment here, by the way, about when I adopt that tone, it's like, I'm saying, Hey bro, here's my bottom line. I think maybe I should say that, Hey bro, here's my bottom line and then lay it out. But, um, uh, but also thanks for, 
Thanks for disagreeing with me, Christina. I, there, like I said earlier, I want to reiterate this point. There's a lot of gray area here. There's a lot of uncertainty. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I would not endorse my opinions in this, this show a hundred percent because there's a lot of uncertainty in me too. But I think there's a lot here that hasn't been discussed. That's being ignored by people out there that are treating Gypsy Rose like a hero. And they're buying into this narrative that she had no choice, that she was a victim of abuse. So of course she had to kill her mother. Like I, it's just not that simple. No. And you know, you know I want, I want to bring this up too, because we talked about this. I, I got to go back to Nick because Nick is doing life. And we talk about, we, 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 we have a lot of cases we talk about where there are people, there are co-defendants, Judy, Judy, Ruby and Jody, Ruby, the real Ruby, Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand in, in it together, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell in it together. So now we have, now we have Gypsy Rose and, and Nick in it together. So I think it's really important to talk about this and, and what, your test is John, what's your litmus test for this? Like, is it fair well, the, that he's doing life the, and she's not? Yeah. The, one of the questions I always ask is if you eliminated one or the other of these parties, would this have occurred? So would the crime have occurred in the date, right. Would the crimes have occurred? So in the Daybell case, my, you know, my litmus test is if you eliminate Chad Daybell, does any of the, the do any of these crimes occur? And the answer is no. And here, I think if you if you go through each party and you say, well, if you eliminate Nick, or let's let's say if you eliminate Gypsy Rose, does this crime occur? And the answer is no, because Nick wouldn't kill anyone. I don't believe. I don't. I, I mean, unless he, someone asked him to, which is what unless, someone, did. unless someone right forced his hand to the point where he felt completely trapped. Ironically, he's the one who feels like he's a prisoner because Gypsy Rose tells him over and over, if you don't do this, I won't love you and we won't have a relationship. And Nick, Nick believes that, you know, he's found the one he he's, he'll do any, as he says, he'll do anything for her. So if you take Gypsy out of the equation and of all, all of her persistent, you know, badgering to get him to kill her mother, um, then Nick is free now. Nick would never commit this. I don't see Nick committing this type of crime without somebody like Gypsy and Rose in the equation. And if you eliminate Nick, my guess is that Gypsy Rose finds someone else. She finds another version of Nick to commit the same crime. So who's right. So who's, who's keep in mind that, that Gypsy Rose had been online prior to Nick interacting with men online way before Nick. In fact, that's where she met this guy, Dan at vision con. And then she started getting online and she was trying to initiate and form relationships with other people online before Nick, Nick wasn't the first person. So what was she doing? Right. I mean, I don't, I can't say that she was deliberately trying to find someone to harm her mother, but maybe she was, we don't know. I don't think she'd ever be honest about it, but Nick's replaceable. She can find some version of Nick to, you know, to kill her mother at some point more easily than Nick can find someone to replace her. Yeah. And we're not, again, in all these groupings, we just suggested the Joby, as a, someone just suggested, we call Ruby and Jody or uh, Chad and Lori. 
or Nick and Gypsy Rose, we're not, every party's responsible. We're not saying it's one or the other. But it's just a question of like, who is calling the shots? How does this crime occur? The other thing I didn't mention about Nick, which I should point out, is that in in two of the documentaries, Nick and in in his interrogation, Nick talked about ha- having voices in his head and taking medication for it. So that would be strongly suggestive of the possibility of schizophrenia. I don't know if that's true, but certainly- someone said. Nick's mom's interview really helped me understand what kind of person he was. He maybe was a pervert, but he was not a a killer at heart. I mean, I kind of, that's how I felt too. And, and yes, he's older than I thought. I said he was young at first and everyone corrected me in his late twenties. He's now in his thirties. Um, okay. So he had not had a violent crime. That's important. He was older and he had not yet had a violent crime. There was no violent history um, before this happened. Right. And that's, that's very important. That's extremely important. And yet, you know, Nick Nick is going to serve life in prison without the possibility of parole. And now Gypsy Rose is getting out and more than likely, I, 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 don't, I don't know how she's going to monetize all this, but I'm sure she will. More than likely, she's going to make a lot of money and she's going to at- obtain a certain amount of fame and fortune, right? So quite different paths. Both have regrets. Um, I am grateful for second chances. I am grateful that uh, Gypsy Rose will have this second chance. And I I do wish the best for her and hope for the best for Gypsy Rose. I, I have been very impressed with the advocacy, again, her father and stepmother have shown her and the family they've given her. And I do think she's made great strides too. So I do hope for the best for her. Yeah. And it's, again, her strengths are, I do think she's, she's worked on herself in prison. She's developed some insight. She's developed a stronger sense of self. She has a really strong social support network in her father, Rod, and her stepmother, Christy. So she's got a lot going for her. I think there's some buffers out there. Um, I think the downside is that she's going to really struggle with line and manipulation for most of her life. I think she's going to struggle to really um, develop healthy relationships. And so I think it'll be interesting to see where her marriage goes or how that goes. Yeah. You're a realist. Thank you for sharing that. No, that was a question people are asking. How is she going to struggle? You know, if you, if you could give her advice or, I mean, if you could hope for one thing right now or give her advice to, to make things a little bit better, what would you suggest for her? I, I would, I, I'd make two recommendations. So I'm going to quote her again. This is from her prison confessions. She said, quote, my mother taught me to lie and manipulate, but that doesn't define me. That's something that she's probably going to have to work on her entire life. I would recommend that she really continues to attend therapy or maybe some support groups or something where she can she can recognize when she's engaging in those types of behaviors and she can start correcting it. She can start seeing that and, um, and really making changes to address some of those issues because it's, it's gotta be so ingrained at this point in her psyche, in her personality that there's just this. And again, we saw it in the, in the interrogation interview, um, just this ease she has with lying and manipulation. And, and I think that's something she's going to struggle with for a long time. 
And then the second, the second issue I think is, is something I talked about earlier that she's just avoiding completely. And she hasn't mentioned it at all. And that is this anger. I think there's, there's probably some underlying anger, maybe even rage. I think it's severe. And I, I would really, you know, ask her or, or have her think about that issue and whether she does, whether she has anger towards her mother. I mean, you know, you just don't see it, but it's, it was clearly a part of the murder. And yeah, it I, clearly I, was. I'd be, I'd be very concerned that if she just pretends everything's well and, you know, she's a new person and she's going to go on with her life as if nothing happened and there's no anger over the past. Um, I'd be very concerned that things could get go wrong quickly um, anywhere in, in a marriage, in a job. You know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see her impulsively get angry at her husband for a very small thing. Um, I don't know. And, you know, that type, type of thing over time can tear a marriage apart. So I, I don't know. That would be my second recommendation is to really kind of explore that issue in some depth and, and to start acknowledging it if it's there. because. To me, it has, you know, there there has to be something there around anger, and it, she's just not she's not going there at all. Get angry. So I, I like that you say that too. At the Eternal Core Conference that I've talked about uh, with Jody Hildebrand, they always talk about uh, not getting angry. But you're saying get angry. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Get enraged. You know, get enraged. As as Daniel the Tiger says. It's okay to get angry, but it's not, not, not okay to hurt someone. I always sing that with my little boy. <laughs> and I think that Daniel Tiger says it best, right? Well, I, you know, I wish she had watched more Daniel Tiger because she got angry and hurt someone. So uh, hopefully she, she won't get angry again and hurt someone else. That's, that's the goal. That's the hope. She doesn't know that it's okay to get angry and thus she hurts someone. Right. <laughs> Listen yeah. to more Daniel Tigers. Put her down in front of right. Daniel Tiger. Start with the start with the basics. Daniel Tiger, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. All right. Yeah, that's that right. That's the the first step is to know that it's okay to get angry. Exactly. It's okay. It's okay to feel any emotion. So that's it's, it's probably okay to be angry. Or, or right. Or to feel sad. Or, you know, I think she needs to. She needs to really, you know, delve deeply into all of her emotions. Yes, I agree, Tamson. Mr. Rogers did leave a beautiful legacy of life lessons. So, all right. And I left a beautiful quote of John's that I love on this description of this video. Um, I just decided on a whim to put it, but you always say, John, that a better understanding of crime is a better understanding of ourselves. And I added that quote tonight because I knew it was going to be a heavy conversation and I knew you were preparing and I threw that in as well as your bio. And I also added the video, um, the study as well. That's also in the description of our video. For those of you um, watching tonight, if you appreciated the research that goes into these, you can see just how much John puts into these. He was taking notes all day. We was rewatching documentaries. If you could like our video and share it with your friends, it would mean so much. Um, for those that disagreed with some of the things we said tonight, that's okay. You're in a good place because we're not looking for everyone to agree with us. We're looking for healthy discussions and an incredible community where we can discuss and debate 
and disagree and maybe get angry as long as we don't hurt each other. And (laughs) (laughs) so uh, we also appreciate your support over on Patreon, patreon.com slash hidden true crime. These shows do take a lot of time to prepare and your support and your monthly support means so much as well as thank you for your memberships here on YouTube tonight. I just want to say thank you so much. We really um, are amazed and appreciative of this community that we're building here at Hidden True Crime. Anything else, babe? Yeah, I do. So I was called out on our last show for not having a quote. So I want to end with, with one of my favorite quotes. It's by the philosopher Blaine Pascal. Pascal said, quote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I love that quote because, you know, here you have in Gypsy Rose, you have someone who doesn't want to sit quietly in a room alone. And I mean, even though the purpose of prison is to do precisely that, part of the purpose of prison is rehabilitation is to get people to sit in a room, often with a cellmate, but in a room and reflect on what they did and to feel some remorse and and guilt from their behavior. Um, I don't know if Gypsy Rose did that um, because she's constantly talking about developing relationships. She's constantly talking about how she can't be alone in that room. But sitting quietly in a room alone with ourselves means that we're forced to look at our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, our 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 pasts, our stories, right? And, and, and which, by the way, is, is sort of a big tenet of meditation and mindfulness. I think that's really important. I think perhaps most of us or all of us need some capacity to sit alone in a room by ourselves with our own thoughts and feelings and to really kind of figure out who we are um, without the imposition of or the expectation that other people are going to heal us or save us or rescue us. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the fundamental problems that happened in this particular case. Thank you, Dr. Babe. Um, I will rest up. I am still not feeling well, but I am on the up and up and thank you to everyone that, um, is watching tonight. Thank you so much and have a great night and a great next week. We'll see you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Hello, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren with Hidden, a true crime podcast. As a TV reporter, I learned the art of visual storytelling. So if you're like me, you enjoy listening, but also viewing. You can actually head to our YouTube channel, Hidden True Crime, to watch these interviews. Hit the subscribe button for surprise lives and breaking news. And for exclusive content, things Dr. John and I only dare say behind a paywall, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash hidden true crime. You'll find bonus episodes, early releases, and insider info. Thank you for your endless support.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.